And someone else is joining us. I hope you saw the the character based on you. Yeah. (laughs) That's really, um, wow, I feel so honored because um, I don't think I've ever had, no one's ever written a play or anything based on anything, a character on me. So I'm really, really honored. Um, Well, we have a great actress, Kenya Wilson, who's a, we have a great actress playing that part, Kenya Wilson, mm-hmm. who's among, uh, you know, a number of good actors that we've uh, recruited for the play. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I remember um, uh, Kenya from your other play that I was able to yeah. see, um, which was really wonderful. Uh, also, um, you know, performed at the uh, Theater for a New City. So anyway... Um, so who else is um, joining us? Someone else is here with us with the 415 uh, area code. Oh. oh, yeah. Hi, Wanda. This is uh, Emil Guillermo. I'm, I'm also in the cast. Oh, I have hey, a very Emil. small part. Hi, how are you? Oh, hey, Emil. <laughs> oh, glad to hi, have Wanda. you with us. Hi, hi. So maybe what we'll do first is um, maybe I'll read, read your bios and um, – and then um, <laughs> uh, Ishmael Reed, um, uh, he's a playwright, as I mentioned, and author of novels, plays, poetry, and nonfiction. Um, backstage called him a modern-day Moliere. <laughs> um, and his website is ishmaelreed.org, I-S-H-M-A-E-L-R-E-E-D. That is such a little, little bio, goodness gracious. <laughs> and then Emil... <laughs> You know who um, Guillermo? You um, portrayed Gabriel. How do you pronounce Gabriel's last name? Well, I, I was told there's a there's a reason why it's pronounced Noah Talde, and it's an inside joke because uh, people in Richmond and Point Richmond uh, like the the, uh, the the way they said it. Uh, anyway, so I'm Noah Talde, Gabriel Noah Talde. Yeah, that's, the, that's the posh section of Richmond, which wants to be called Richmond Day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they and be, they Neil, you confused. are. They don't want to be confused with the peasants. Ah, okay. <laughs> uh, so, Neil, uh, your character is a media commentator and journalist on his daily show. No, you are a media commentator and a journalist. Your daily show, Emil Amok, Takeout, can be seen on. Yeah, it's uh, a, yeah, it's like a like an Asian restaurant. You can take things out, you know. Oh. Uh, so it's Emil Amok's Takeout, and I do a takeout on uh, the day's news, and uh, mm-hmm. so it's a, a bit of a typecasting thing where Ishmael has put me in his play for a very brief moment. But it's uh, I'm going against type because I have fairly, I would say, liberal views, and the commentator I play is kind of like a Tucker Carlson in brown face, if you can imagine that. <laughs> right, yeah. And, and you also host the, um, the PET, PETA podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the PETA podcast. You, you know, PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. You know, Wanda, there are a lot of African-American vegans out there. You know that, don't you? Yeah. No? You, I, yes, you've I never do. been to Hawaii? 
They probably sneak only around soul and food in Oakland. They probably sneak around and get some barbecue. So vegan. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't have to put you don't have to put the bacon bits in the collars. You can put you know like textured vegetable protein. But no, seriously though, there are a lot of great African American vegan chefs in the country and in Oakland. They've got one of the best vegan restaurants, uh, Holy Soul Food. I just want to, I mean, I, they're not a sponsor necessarily, but maybe they should after this. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> and uh, you're also, um, besides being an actor, you're a stand-up solo artist. You perform one-man shows around the country. And your book, Amok, Essays from an Asian American Perspective, won an American Book Award in 2000. And uh, yeah. your first appearance uh, uh, in Ishmael in the Ishmael Lee play was as a used car salesman in Hubbard City. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling yeah. you, I I'm only an actor because of Ishmael Reed. I I, I have oh. I have a, a an exclusive contract. I I only appear if if Steven Spielberg wanted me, I'd say I cannot. I I'm exclusively uh, on the stage because of Ishmael Reed. You wouldn't want to be in any Spielberg's movies. I know that. No, I, I probably wouldn't. I, I, I could probably play a corpse in the corner there in his movie. Yeah. So, um, so Ishmael, um, you are um, you know, well-known for your satirical work challenging American political culture. And, um, and so this particular play is, is in keeping you know, with that. Um, the conductor is, you know, we're looking at a modern-day um, underground railroad that is the conductors as opposed to the passengers are those folks are informally a part of this this, this, um, this movement of people um, in playing youth. And, and so tell us about, about, you know, the conductor and this concept. And, yeah, it's just, so good! Oh my goodness, isn't that unreal? It's just like, wow! Only oh. you know could 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 do this so well, and all of the. Well, I mean, you bring in it's like it's really current, <laughs> and it's really great considering you know we we have we're voting you know next month, um, and and we you know we had this really sort of horrific outcomes the last time you know we had we had our election, and. Um, you know, with the ouster of, you know, a lot of folks that were doing some good work. So anyway, Ishmael, tell us about this wonderful work and, and your inspiration. Well, the idea uh, came to me when I read about some of the issues that the journalists missed when writing about the recall of the school board members, uh, mm-hmm. Samoan, uh, African-American, and a uh, Latinx American and how the Eastern Press, which describes as California, if you want to read my piece about the Calvinists in the East who just hate California, I had something published in Alta Magazine, Willie Hurst the Thirds Magazine, about this issue. But anyway, the whole thing got distorted because of misinformation. Now, um, it turns out that one of the groups that uh, was behind the recall received money from one of these Silicon, maybe a couple of Silicon Valley uh, billionaires, 
mm-hmm. who are aligned with white nationalism. And that was underreported. And uh, in New York, I was on New York radio yesterday, same thing is happening in New York, where a AstroTurf group claiming to represent Chinese Americans uh, was opposed to the lottery which is the same issue out here, the lottery as opposed to grades or uh, test scores. These are rigged, rigged test scores. And so I looked up the the directors of that group in New York, and there are only two Chinese Americans uh, among the directors. Four of the people are white, and the co-founder of this group that's supposed to be representing Chinese Americans is a... uh, white American who is connected to the right and was a former New York policeman. So that's what's happening out here. A few uh, minorities are used to front right-wing finance groups that wish to, I don't know, I think they wish to end public education or they wish to impose a curriculum that uh, has something to do with uh, Saving the West. It's all, it's all very vague. Uh, you know, when I hear Steve Bannon, he talks about saving the West, Western civilization, which they wouldn't have without Muslim scholars. You have to realize that, for example, that, and I think you read this in the script probably, that Euclid, the father of mathematics, was an African. When you go to school textbooks, he's depicted as a white man. We don't know how he looks. But anyway, that's all. That's a tangent, tangential discussion. So I was offended by the way the three school board members were treated and how they're still being treated. Now, they singled out Allison Collins, the black school. You know, they always see blacks as the ringleaders. We're the ringleaders in political correctness and wokeness and all this kind of stuff. So they singled her out. And in the old days, you know, if you achieved a victory, this being the recall of the three uh, school board members, that would be the end of it. But they're still harassing these uh, these uh, school ex school board members. Gabriel uh, Gabriel Lopez, for example, received threatening uh, death threats and people saying that she should be decapitated and raped. I mean, what what you're dealing with is a cult. You're dealing with a cult that involves millions of people. So like Jonestown. But the difference is that Jones, the people in Jonestown didn't wish to impose their suicidal impulses on the rest of the population, like, which is what the Trump people are doing. So anyway, uh, I felt that uh, traditionally uh, the writer, the fiction writer, can fill in the gaps that the official the journalists promoting the official versions uh, leave out. Now, there was a big to do about renaming the school, and according to Ms. Cow- Mrs. Collins, they had nothing to do with that. As a matter of fact, the man that wanted to rename the school uh, is still on the board. Now, I think these schools should be renamed. And the problem with this Afro, excuse me, Anglo-centric education is that it t- doesn't tolerate other points of view. Native Americans have a different opinion about George Washington. He wanted to exterminate them. Black people have a different opinion about George Washington. He enslaved them, signed a Fugitive Slave Act, and hunted them down like he hunted down an animal. 
he sold uh, a slave for rum. And I think there's evidence that he, Washington might have been an alcoholic. But anyway, because he said, Brookheiser, uh, Brook, I think one of his biographers said, he claimed that Mount Vernon was being turned into a tavern. But anyway, uh, we have African-American, Native American, and other scholars have a different point of view about people like Junipero Serra. They made him a saint. He turned uh, California into a brothel for Indian women. He went out and captured Indian men and made them work as slaves. So these people don't realize that there are other points of view about American history. And since there's a new crop of uh, women, blacks, Latinx, Native American historians challenging these points of view, the panic has set in. Now, Emil's part, and I know people call me a satirist, but I've used humor to make serious points. So Emil is the kind of character who has to submit to the Anglo-centric uh, education or curriculum, and that means that he has to give up his past. He has to give up his tradition. He has to despise his tradition. And Emil, he's almost a show stealer. He does that part so well. He's very convincing. So Emil is a Pacific Islander, uh, some imaginary island, and he has to denounce his parents. He has to denounce his tradition in order to be accepted as an Anglo-centric person. And the school's curriculum is Anglo-centric. It's Anglo-centric. They try to take, uh, it's like uh, missionary. It's a missionary thing. It's not education. They want to assimilate Italian, Irish, all of us blacks into some kind of Anglo-centric mainstream, all right? So that means that you have to give up your Irishness, you have to give up your Italianness or blackness in order to fit into the so-called mainstream. I have, for example, let me give you an example, Pat Coggins, who's a friend of mine, Pat Coggins of the Irish Cultural Center. I said, uh, Pat, do you think that the current uh, Anglo-centric curriculum benefits Irish students? He says, no, they don't know about the Great Famine. They have no idea of the Great Famine. They have no idea that uh, William Wells Brown Frederick Douglass and other fugitive slave orders found a home and were championed in Ireland and lived there. They know none of this. Italian-American kids don't know that there was an Italian internment out here in, in California, that Italian immigrants were put in camps and that the restrictions of uh, Italian-Americans in Stockton and other places uh, were restricted. Now, the person who had this uh, a recall, started this recall, was a man of Indian heritage. So my hypothetical in the play is, what would happen if India got into a big conflict with the United States, all right? The Indian citizens in, the, in uh, California would have to plead to India or Canada, or in his case, he had to be hidden. And so as a reversal, this time, the black character Warren is a conductor in the Underground Railroad getting Indians to Canada. Okay. Right. Yeah, that is, is really, yeah, I, I just think just the whole premise is really amazing. And, and then also we have, um, you know, uh, Indian Americans, uh, you know, South Asian 
um, uh, passing as black people, like African-American. And, oh, historically. Yeah, historically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened was yeah. that in the 1800s, uh, the first Indians to come to the United States were peddlers and were seamen. And they fit in with the black population in Harlem and in the South. As a matter of fact, they married black women. So they blended in. But now you got this new crop that came in from the 70s on who are entrepreneurs. And some of them are bringing the caste system over here. So, so casteism is being brought here. That means that darker-skinned people are treated like Dalits in India, the black people in India. And so Apple, for example, uh, Apple had to uh, list casteism uh, along with racism and sexism as something to be avoided because two upper-caste Indian immigrants uh, impeded the progress or the career of a lower caste Indian. Now, this is happening in the United States. They're bringing that casteism stuff over here. So, I don't know, you know, during the Rodney King thing in the 1990s, uh, Jack White of Time Magazine asked me to write a piece about the Rodney King thing. And I told Jack, I said, in 20 years, black people are going to miss the good old days when white racism was all they had to worry about. So, this play is different. You could, there are hundreds of Plays, theater, film, everything about the white and television is making big money on this. The white-black divide. And my my point is that there are other uh, cases of racial division that doesn't cover the white-black thing. But the white-black thing is a big old money maker for CNN and uh, all these pieces and uh, you know these uh, networks and they created Trump. The media created Trump. And racism was probably their their uh, entertainment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you know, Wanda, what I what I love about Ishmael's writing and about what I love about this play is that Ishmael takes something that's real, the the recall, and he filled in the gap. He gave it the historical context and all the stuff. I mean, there's fictive elements in the play, but there's the real part of history that are true. And when you hear them, they're provocative. And then later on you, you go through the text and you say, well, that really happened. Or, you know, this is what's really going, this is, this happened to Asians. This happened to African-Americans. So you go through the entire play and you see this rich history. And this may be the point that is never taught in our public schools. And people don't generally know this history. And, Ishmael in the play brings it to light, light, and we see it in the context of this recall election where essentially conservative Asian Americans and conservative Indian Americans were trying to oust these progressive school board members who wanted to bring all these different viewpoints and different types of perspectives into the public schools in San Francisco. So in this, this play, Ishmael does it all in two acts. And I think this is a, a hallmark of the kind of writing that Ishmael has done all his life. But in this stage in his life, he's really discovered the play form. And it's the reason why people have compared him to Moliere. I like to compare him to George Bernard Shaw. But the play form, especially when read in a staged reading like what people will see, 
if they go online and buy tickets to this virtual reading, uh, they will see Ishmael Reed coming out, coming through loud and clear. It is a perspective you don't get that is worth being exposed to in 2022. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, so I was wondering. If people, want to get um, tickets, if people want to get tickets, they go to theater for the new city.net. Theater, mm-hmm. all one word, theaterforthenewcity.net slash shows slash the conductor. You don't need all that, but just go to the website and you can find out how to uh, get tickets because this is going to be streamed so you can see it on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Wanda, yeah, it's, and, uh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can be anywhere oh, I want, I want, uh, in, in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's virtual, which is the great thing about this. And as I said, because it's a, a staged reading, uh, it really highlights the words, highlights the ideas. And Ishmael really is a writer of ideas and a, as well as a satirist. And you'll see where the void is because it's being filled uh, by the playwright, Ishmael Reed. You know, the same money was behind the recall of the, the, same money was behind the, recall of the district attorney. Wooden and uh, yeah. the fib, the fib that the right circulated was that crime had gone up under his uh, being district attorney and being in office his administration. Turns out the crime had gone down, according to police reports, and so he was recalled. And you'll see that the new district attorney is uh, promoting a hard line on black and brown men, and you know. She had to admit that she got $150,000 from one of these billionaires. Same thing is happening in Texas where some billionaire is trying to take control of the school board. So they see themselves as promoting their white nationalist ideas by taking over these school boards. And uh, one of these people who came to uh, to uh, contribute uh, to uh, a PAC that supported the recall of the school board members uh, is a very uh, a billionaire who make who appears before white nationalist uh, conventions. So the right wing is like using every method they can use and using a minorities that are not a, apparently not aware of the old divide and conquer colonial strategy. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I want to mention, um, with regards to, um, you know, getting getting uh, tickets, that um, besides going to the website and theater, so with the ER, theaterforthenewcity.net, um, I want to mention that the readings are, are not happening at the same time. So, so on Thursday, October 13th, next week, um, and Friday, October 14th, um, and Saturday, October 15th, the, uh, the readings are at 8 p.m. Uh, is that 8 p.m. Eastern time? Yeah. Okay. So it's 8 p.m. Eastern time. And then on Sunday, right. at October 16th, there's a matinee at 3 p.m. So all of these times are at uh, Pacific time. So make sure that those of us that are on the east, West Coast, you know, it's a different time, three hours, three hours earlier. And uh, the tickets are $18 for all the performances, all the readings. 
and there's a phone number you can call if you're totally confused. Um, <laughs> and that phone number is area code 212-254-1109. And, and this information is also posted in the description for this show. But um, I want to give it to you. All right. So um, could you talk a little bit more um, about about these characters and um, uh, particularly the character um, who is um, uh, Chinese American and, and what you what you uh, share about that Ishmael is really interesting and um, I just wanted you to talk a little bit more about about these characters and the situation and uh, uh, and Emil, if you could, um, and, and both of you could share some of your favorite scenes. <laughs> why don't you have me read that monologue? Okay. Wanda, why don't you have me read the monologue, his monologue? Okay, why don't you read that? I'd be happy to, Wanda. I'd be happy to. I mean, uh, you know, I was... I I I I I I I'm speechless. No, no. Uh, you know, Wanda, I'm a broadcaster, and so this uh, I took to this this role, but I had to play a conservative, which was very very difficult um, because I don't usually have particularly conservative views. H- however, this character is near and dear to me because, as Ishmael said, it's a Pacific Islander. Uh, a man who has pretty much given up his sense of his Pacific Islandness because he has made the deal with the devil, which is to be in the white culture as a success. And to do that, sometimes there's a price to pay, as many people of color know. I mean, well, well Emil, 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 yeah. Emil. You know, Carl Blank, who's directing the play? Yes. Carl Blank? Yes. She said that, she said, she, <laughs> she told me that I could write for the right. Based on your, based on your monologue, I can get a job with a <laughs> You could, you could. I, like I said, I, I, I read, I've, I've been reading this monologue through rehearsals, and I said, "God, uh, Ishmael's turned me into the Brown Tucker Carlson. Help me!" <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but you know, really though, I mean, like I said, uh, look at what ha- what's happened. Uh, you got Kanye West wearing T-shirts to say uh, "All Whites Matter." I mean, there is a conservative streak going on in culture, and they, I well, Kanye can be his own person. I know he doesn't need billionaires to fund him, but you know there are. Uh, take for example that lawsuit against against the Harvard on affirmative action, a a a conservative legal center uh, who are professionals at trying to defeat affirmative action proposals, handpicked uh, Asian American victims and said. We can't beat affirmative action with white victims. Let's get some minorities. Let's get the model minority. No, 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 and no, no, that- no, Emil, Emil, Emil. Yeah. They had they had a, a uh, white woman, and yeah. of course affirmative action has benefited white women the most. 
They had right. her as the, as the victim, but it turns out that her grades were all bad. So they had to get yeah. a Chinese-American. They said they had to hunt for one of them to take that uh-huh. role. And what Edmund, what's his name? Edmund Bloom, who's forgotten, yeah. of course, where he came from and his ethnicity, he said, well, we get these Chinese-Americans. They like golf like we do. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this is... Why don't you read the monologue? Big... Emil, read Oh, okay. Monologue. All right. Sorry about that. <laughs> Wanda, this is yeah. Gabriel Noataldi. <laughs> you know, uh, as Gabriel Noataldi, as I'm wont to do, I was musing the other day what would have become of me had I not graduated from Lowell High School and Princeton. This is me. I- I'm a Pacific Islander. Would I have lived my life on some isolated Pacific Island? Spending hours waiting for a coconut to fall from a tree, out swimming sharks for quarters. A kayak is my only mode of transportation, telling time by phases of the moon, having a monkey run errands for me, communicating with my friends through a conch horn instead of social media, worshiping a volcano. Fortunately, my parents had the good sense to migrate to the United States, where I was able to get a good education, study the brightest minds of mankind. That dream, though, was interrupted by firebrands who challenged these lofty goals. Mediocrities who, in the words of Gary Camilla, wanted to travel on a racial bandwagon. Well, extending his metaphor, that racial bandwagon has run out of gas. One of those who is disrupting. One of those who is disrupting the anglicization of the global community is this madcap Siraj Udala, a crazy person. He wants Hindi to be the official language of India. Hindi instead of English. Who wants to change the name of Mumbai to Lakshmibai after a woman who led an uprising against the British. Certainly meant to poke the British in the eye. I have maintained my silence. Leaving British-trained Indian commentators in the East to criticize him. But now I will not hold my peace any longer. That's because he criticized my hero, Lord Mountbatten. Lord Mountbatten. India's mad extremist Prime Minister, Shiraj Udala, took the side of a family that was suing the Crown for a scandal involving Lord Mountbatten, one of the noblest men to walk the earth, the Queen's uncle. <laughs> They claimed that Lord Mountbatten had a practice of abusing Indian boys. During a press conference, the deranged leader said, maybe there is something to Mountbatten's abuse of Indian boys. Well, the English ambassador to India protested, but the Indian prime minister, whose grandfather, an old diehard nationalist, gave him the ridiculous name Siraj Udala after the last independent Nawab of Bengal, who gave the British all that they could handle until the British picked a loyal Anglo-Indian to implement his downfall and murder, that man should have a statue. Siraj shrugged off the British protest. He began to agree with the family that was suing the Crown for Mountbatten's monstrous perversion, as his enemies called it. Siraj Udala's entrance into politics was a surprise to his friends. With them, he spent a lot of time in nightclubs coffee shops, film festivals in London, Paris. But all of a sudden, Shiraj got the political bug 
and had worked his way up from a backbencher to prime minister. The British objected to the prime minister's insult of a member of the royal family, and Sir Raj fired back, calling the prime minister of England, the prime minister of England, a bakri showed, which in Hindi means goat sucker. <laughs> when word reached Downing Street of the Indian prime minister's remark, the British prime minister became so angry that he threw a glass of wine against the wall. Siraj's mental capacity was questioned. India was called a rogue nation, and now this madman is making an effort to unite India, Bangladesh, and Pakistan, a division that had been promoted, according to this far-left firebrand, by Winston Churchill? This is Gabriel Noataldi signing off. Until next week, God save the king. (laughs) Great, great. So Raju Dalla is the firebrand prime minister of India who's causing trouble for Indians in the United States because he's in conflict with England and the United States. And and I'm just the Tucker Carlson in brown face who is supporting, supporting uh, all that is white globally. Mm -hmm. But I think I think the premise, you know, that of the conductive, um, you know, that the black American journalist Warren Kipp, you know, high Anglo Indian you know, Shashi Palma is it's a real twist. Yeah, it's, it's a real twist. Um, yeah, could you could you talk a little bit about about um, about that aspect of the work? You know, the conductor, and 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 I just every time I you know I I read you know something that you know Warren Chip did to Palmer and Palmer uh, all the time he's trying to to defend and justify you know his 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 you know being on the run. Well Kala K A L A his girlfriend Mm -hmm. because she's dark, she's able to pass for black American while Mm -hmm. her relatives have to flee to India. So that's the complexity. And the person who plays uh, Wanda, Melody, says, well, why do you think that, uh, you know, being a black American is such a a bonus, a lottery, a prize? You know, she talks about the difficulties of her situation. And uh, Collins says, well, you know, they still practice uh, slavery uh, in India. Women uh, Women are slaves. And they have a category of people called Dalits, and Monisha uh, Shiva, who played that role, is a Dalit. Uh, the Dalits are treated like animals uh, in India because of the dark skin, and that's one of the reasons. So you have that casting, and she does that very well, and she's able to recite uh, some of the uh, conditions of the Dalits in, India, in uh, India. So there's a color thing going on over there, and as a matter of fact, uh, uh, Indi- the uh, Indians are, might 
are considered in some places to be most some of the most racist people in the world. They uh, have uh, harassed Africans. Actually, uh, uh, you know, treated uh, uh, Africans like slaves in that country, and it's all based on uh, color. Now, these people over here call themselves. This is some point I want to make. These people over here who stormed the uh, Capitol, the insurrectionists, they call themselves Aryans. And this is based upon a big lie, one of the biggest lies. You're talking about big lies. It's one of the biggest lies in history, that blonde, blue-eyed supermen, super people invaded India. And these people over here, Hitler, and these people over here believe that they are descendants from those people. And it's been uh, it's been discovered, or Indian scientists have shown that no such invasion ever happened and that Indians are of a common origin. But that's this Aryan myth that's caused millions of people to lose their lives because uh, the whites in Germany and other places and over here believe that they are descended from supermen. So this is something that, that like, uh, what you undergirds, or, or which is really the foundation of racism. Right. Yeah. And um, and you also you also talk about you know Indo-European um, you know the language. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you know. You know. When I was that, when I went to school, when I went to school, I was taught that English was part of the Indo-European languages. Mm-hmm. This is a lie. This is uh, this is uh, English English. Is the, the source of English is Sanskrit, and I didn't uh, realize that until I started studying uh, Hindi. Studied Hindi uh, for a year under a tutor to discover that uh, a lot of the words that we find in German and in English are derived from Sanskrit. And so when I went to school, I think uh, the white supremacist education denied the fact that uh, people of uh, a black skin color, a brown skin color, uh, the, lang- the uh, language originated uh, in India. So that's why they say Indo-European, when actually it's uh, sa- it's uh, derived from Sanskrit. Sanskrit is mother la- mother language of English. That's, that's all. Uh, that, that's just a few, few of the lies that you get in this school curriculum, and. Uh, I think uh, the three uh, board members are to be regarded as heroes for challenging this curriculum, which is a co-conspirator in the hate crimes that we did. You, you notice that that some of the biggest racial brawls and incidents occur on the centers of learning, at the centers of learning in the United States in high school. They just had a situation here in California where some white kids did a slave auction, you know, because they don't know black history. They They have have no understanding of black history. They don't understand their own history. My friend Dan Cassidy wrote a book called How the Irish Invented Slang. He says he runs across kids with names like Flanagan. They don't know what that means. We're all supposed to melt into the melting pot of Anglo-centrism, a warrior culture. And uh, so these three, uh, Allison and uh, Gabriel Lopez, Allison Collins, should be regarded as heroes. So, Emil, do you have any um, 
any uh, any more comments or any questions for Ishmael? Oh, questions for Ishmael? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, I I just um, you know I first met Ishmael Reed. It's hard to believe, but I first, he was my teacher years ago. Um, okay, decades ago. Okay, several decades ago. And I, I just feel honored that I can still call him uh, a friend, and uh, I feel honored to be in this play. And one of the things I, I love about Ishmael is, you know, he has this line, he likes to say, um, writing is fighting. And to this day, he's still fighting. And, uh, and it, it's, an, it's inspirational uh, for anyone. Uh, not just people of color, but anyone who is up against, you know, a sense of the social injustice or uh, who is facing a culture that is naturally antagonistic, naturally unsupportive. And what Ishmael's writing through the years and in this play, it, it shows he, he provides us with the information that, that, that gives us, we get the history that we don't get. And that's what I love about this play in particular and the, and the stage reading, because you hear it and you say, is that true? Is that true? And, you know, you might go back later and Google it or do your research and say, God, that's true. That happened. You know, uh, the N-word is used liberally here, but it's used liberally by Asians about Asian Americans, about Chinese Americans. And you say, well, is that true? It's a mind-blowing perspective that if people are used to the standard kind of fare or the the curriculum of no history, which it seems what we're going to, if people like Ron DeSantis in Florida and other people who want to ban critical race theory and that kind of thing, even though critical race theory isn't taught, we're just talking about history. I'm just saying that uh, Ishmael's writing, and particularly in this play, you'll get the history, and you'll get a perspective you don't get anywhere. And um, that's why I'm I'm happy to be uh, part of this project. Um, happy to have uh, happy to call Ishmael my friend. And as I said, the things he told me back when I was in graduate school, I still use to keep the flame lit and to keep me going. Ishmael, um, uh, any any more comments um, about about this work? Uh, well, theater theater is probably uh, one of the main places where uh, we can get an e- a word in edgewise because seventy percent, eighty percent of Hollywood uh, and the media, newspapers you know, television, uh, are still uh, segregated places. I mean, Emil had a show on NPR, and uh, he did very well, but they were not ready for uh, his point of view. And at least he lasted longer than I did on NPR. They gave me a a show. They gave me a show which lasted two broadcasts because I said that the Willie Horton campaign would backfire uh, Lee Atwater 
and the first president, President Bush. So they called him Neil Conan. He called him and said, well, you know, we can't use you anymore because they feel a backlash. But you saw what happened to Lee Atwater and President Bush. I'm not really gloating over that, but I said it would backfire on that. So he, la- he lasted much longer than I did. So there are very few places for our voices. They like their... Uh, they're, they they like uh, Asian Americans to be real uh, accommodating and uh, imitating or, or engage in mimicry, mimicry of, uh, you know, the mainstream. So they're not prepared for a person like Frank Chen. Frank Chen is one of the top, I would say he's among the top 10 novelists in the United States. Allison Collins uh, raised hell because she referred to uh, some privileged Chinese Americans as house inward, right? If uh, they were teaching uh, black history at Lowell High School, people would have known what that meant. It's a class designation. It's not a racial designation. You have your house in words, and you have your field in words. And in that case, some of the Chinese, uh, poor immigrant Chinese uh, students might be considered field. But that, that totally got raised a big old controversy because people were ignorant, a lot of ignorant spectacle out here in, in uh, San Francisco and Oakland because nobody was, there was no way that they knew about black tradition, black vernacular, uh, what that meant, house and field. Well, Frank Chen said the same thing. He used the same words. And so at least uh, Emil and uh, I have a voice, but the Asian American avant-garde, intellectuals and, and some of the radicals among the Asian American population, they've been shut out and they've been shut down. And so we get this uh, uh, people like uh, these people who really want to assimilate and want to be Anglo-centric so bad that they want to send their kids, they wanted to send their kids to school even before there was a vaccine. Did you know about that? They, no, they wanted uh, their kids. The they wanted their kids to get an Anglo-centric education. You're going to kill them. So that's hmm. not really perverse. Yeah, you know, Ishmael, it's it's so true that we've been fighting for ethnic studies uh, since you know the late '60s, uh, right, right. and you'd think you'd think by now uh, we would have achieved a certain level, but it seems like we're, it's, it's a constant struggle. It's a constant, it's a constant struggle. And even uh, like October uh, happens to be uh, because of the Filipino American National Historical Society. It happens to be a Philippine Filipino American history month. And what I discovered just, just this month, uh, writing about it in, in my columns on the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund, uh, that the Dred Scott decision, which is one of the the most racist decisions ever by the Supreme Court of the United States. And so you think, oh, we have a very racist Supreme Court right now. Well, you haven't seen anything if you don't go back and revisit 1857 when the Dred Scott decision was put out. But the Filipino-American tidbit is that there was a case that Supreme Court Justice Roger Taney wrote in 1840 that involved a Filipino sailor who was on an American ship, and he was accused of murder, convicted. His case was 
was uh, sent up to the Supreme Court, and Taney used, uh, wrote a decision declaring that a Filipino uh, was a person of color and was not white and therefore had no rights as oh, all boy. people of color, including African Americans, including uh, Native Americans. All people of color who weren't white Christians did not have rights. And it was the first time that 1840 decision that a, a sense of a master race, uh, the basis of white supremacy, was put forward in, I believe, in American jurisprudence, 1840. And because of that, when Dred Scott in 1857 sued for his freedom in Missouri and was turned down by a 7-2 to two vote, that's massive, seven to two. That's like a lot of white people saying, no, you are not free in Missouri. You're not free anywhere because they said African-Americans couldn't be citizens. So how could they be free? And, and Roger Taney made, wrote that decision in 1857, and he used as its base that decision he wrote in 1840 about a Filipino-American. The man's name was Lorenzo Dow, a name you don't hear much about. But yeah, why didn't he, I didn't uh, learn that in school? Why why didn't I learn that in school? Uh, you know, there's a whole lot of things. You know, Ishmael, you know, <laughs> if, if if it didn't fit, if it didn't fit into two paragraphs, you're not going to learn it. Well, listen, right? listen. Well, we we got Carla Blank here. We got Carla directing the play, and uh, Carla, maybe you could talk about some of the cast members on the play in the play. Oh, Carla Blank's directing the play. Yeah. Hi, Wanda. How are you? Hi, Carla. Oh, wow. What a pleasure. So this this is a wonderful cast. Uh, Everyone uh, in the cast, I think, has worked with us in some play at some time. Uh, Emil, way back, uh, I wasn't directing it, but he was a a car salesman in Hubbard City. And um, the... uh, there's two people who, Laura Robards and Brian Simmons, both uh, were in The Slave Who Loved Caviar. Imran Javad uh, was in The Domestic Crusaders by Wajad Ali that I directed. And Monisha Shiva was also in uh, The Domestic Crusaders. Actually, they, believe, came out to the Bay Area and did a, a performance out here around 2010. And... Um, did I miss anybody? Uh, I have him run. Um, this isn't the whole cast here. So. <laughs> and uh, uh, Tennessee talk about as the narrator, our daughter, and she's she's performed that role on, on other occasions in other plays with Ishmael's in readings. So it's 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 like a repertory company almost now, and. Uh, they're very wonderful people to work with. Uh, so, uh, who did I leave out? Kenya Wilson. She was uh, also. She plays Wanda. She plays someone based off of you, Wanda. <laughs> <laughs> she, plays, she plays a journalist uh, who uh, writes in the Bay Area in an um, alternate black press. And uh, she interviews these guys so so uh and then rome neal of course is is our uh project coordinator and uh so it's 
it's it's like a family business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really wonderful family. Um, how how have the rehearsals been going, um, Emil uh, and Carla? How how have they been going? I know, Michelle, uh, you've been uh, you know doing several drafts of the work. Right. Well, that's they, they, the actors are basically helps us tremendously by w- workshopping. Uh, often, when people do uh, stage readings, they only have one or two rehearsals. <laughs> We've had a, uh, at least I don't know how many five six. We'll have about eight by the time we get to the performance, and and each time uh, up until just about now, Ishmael has been able to uh, hear where. Cuts need to happen. It was about a two-hour play once we when we started. No, it was a one-hour play or less than a one-hour play. So he added things, and then it was too much, and then he had to pull back. So those those things you can only hear. Uh, you can't get it when you're just reading on the page what how it's going to sound. So the the actors have been absolutely necessary to this process. So yeah, it's you, great to be. Yeah, it's great to be able to give voice to Ishmael's work and to see it organically evolve. And uh, I guess the next thing is to see if it gets to the stage. I mean, from a stage reading to an actual live stage performance. And so right, right. more of the evolving creative process. Absolutely. Yeah, well, we we hope to have that happen. And more than likely, it would be housed at Theater for the New City which is a great uh, space in uh, New York's Off-Broadway Theater circuit. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit more about Theater for the New City? Um, I mean, it's really great that uh, you have virtual uh, performances and now you're having this reading. Uh, Could you talk a little bit about the theater itself and, and your relationship with it? It seems like, you know, once you have a good relationship with the theater, it's now... Um, it, 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 it's one that you don't seven. Uh, just a moment, let me pull up. They, they, they've been around. Uh, hold on a second. I can get a. Uh, uh, Ishmael, you want to say something about Peter from the Mississippi? Yeah, well, I had a play done there uh, last year which was uh, raised a lot of controversy called The Slave Who Loved Caviar. The myth is that uh, Andy Warhol, the painter, excuse me, well, he didn't paint, he hadn't painted for 25 years until he met Basquiat. Basquiat encouraged him to paint again. But the myth in uh, New York art circles is that Basquiat was sort of like a mascot of Andy Warhol and that he owed things, he owed his career to Andy Warhol. When it was the other way around, actually, Andy Warhol's career was on decline until he met Basquiat. Basquiat gave him new energy and uh, did most of the work. Uh, There was was a so-called collaboration, but Basquiat said that uh, Andy Warhol was lazy. He did all the work. And so this is a kid. He died at 27, 28, 27, who was really exploited by the art world. I think that led to his uh, destruction. So I got in trouble with the Andy Warhol foundation, which got millions of dollars, millions upon millions of dollars, because I had done what Andy Warhol was known for doing, for transforming things. So I took a photograph by, that Andy Warhol had made of a 
Basquiat. And Basquiat has a painting called Leeches and Parasites. So I put leeches all over Basquiat's body and I put Andy Warhol's face within all the leeches. They got really upset. And then um, another person who I, whom I thought exploded, we thought exploded, Andy Warhol threatened to sue. But anyway, uh, because of those uh, threats, uh, the New City Theater from the New City would no longer do the play, so they're doing this play. Just hold on one second. So a little bit about the history of Theater for the New City. Uh, they do something like 30 or 40 new plays, premieres per year, about week 10, they say, are from emerging and young playwrights. And they uh, seek plays that are multi-ethnic, multidisciplinary, and they serve companies who have no permanent home, such as ours. And uh, they've won Pulitzer Prizes for drama and over 42 Obie Awards, which is like the uh, Grammy Awards of Off-Broadway. And uh, so, so it's, 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 uh, they have four theaters in, inside this space. And the one that we use was their largest theater. And it uh, was actually very wonderful for uh, COVID because people could space out and the sight lines are great. You can see from anywhere in the space. So, and uh, they have the in-house uh, designers and lighting and uh, set designers. It's a very supportive environment. That's great. That's really great. And I want to let our audience know that um, we're speaking to uh, Carla Blank right now. She is the um, uh, the director of the conductor and uh, was written by Ishna Lee. And we also have uh, in the studio Camille uh, uh, Guillermo, um, uh, one of the actors. And um, this play is having its uh, live streamed virtual reading on Thursday, October 13th, and Friday, October 14th, and Saturday, October 15th at 8 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m., sorry, Eastern Time. Important. That's yeah, important so what's your 5 p.m. <laughs> our time? West Coast time. Right, 5, yeah, 5 p.m. Um, West, West Coast time. And then Sunday, October 16th, there's a matinee at 3 p.m. Eastern time, which is, is that 12 noon Pacific time? Uh, no, that's that's 11, right? That 11? What's that math? Eastern time. Yeah. Eastern time. Oh, yes, you're right. 12, I think, 12 noon. Yeah. And all you do is you go <laughs> if you go to theaterforthenewcity.net and that's all uh, with no spaces lowercase theaterforthenewcity.net and you can find um, the uh, way to purchase tickets to uh, see the the uh, virtual readings each day. Day it's live. This is not a this is not a going to be a taped performance. It will be live, awful performances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which makes it really cool because when you go to one of one more than one live performance, uh, there are nuances. Absolutely. Because, yeah, which is which is really awesome about live live theater, whether it's stage readings or actually performances. Um, it's really cool. Um uh Emil, do you have any closing words? Uh, Ishmael, do you have any closing words around audience? Um, who should be in the Who should be in the room with us? 
Well, I, well, you I know, think, I just think people would love uh, this play. I think they'd love this play. They should uh, go to theater for the new city.net and seeing it in the stage reading uh, live stream from the comfort of your home if you're on the West Coast, I think is the perfect way to see it at this point. Really, it's, it's, it's ideal. And to get all of Ishmael Reed's uh, perspective on race and culture in America today, 2022. Uh, these billionaires who put money behind Hamilton, which praises a slave owner, they finally admitted he owned slaves, and put money behind uh, Warhol's, uh, the official Warhol uh, line about his being a mentor and a sort, of, sort of like nurse to Basquiat, and who put money behind these recall elections, which is a form of voter suppression, to realize that their right is still around. It's an ancient uh, uh, technique, but it still has power, and that they're going to be challenged. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the challenge. Um, and Carla, do you um, have any uh, closing uh, remarks? Thank you for having us uh, speak about the play, and uh, I look forward to hearing people's reactions to it, too. It's, it's, there'll be a chat uh, uh, capability, and so please let us know what you think that will help us, too. Thank you, Juan. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for joining us this morning. I really appreciate it, Ishmael and Carla and Emil. It was really a wonderful conversation, but we're going to have even a better conversation once we're in the room with you all uh, next week and hearing this work come to life, you know, via your your presence and your voices. Well, thanks for your support. Long live the black press. Oh, you're quite welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I say, long live the black (laughs) press. You all take good care. Thanks, Wanda. You're welcome. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Thanks, Wanda. Nice meeting you in person or on the phone. (laughs) Good meeting you, too. Well, we're I've read your column um, for years. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Gonna... Back uh, when, when Lee and was over there and Willie and, yeah. you know. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I go you know, way we, back. Willie, you sure do. Yeah, Willie um, had his 90th birthday this year. Um, back oh, no kidding. Yeah, he is 90. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's Ishmael oh, Elder. <laughs> you, you, you tell him I said happy birthday. Oh, I, 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 I saw him. I remember when he started the Bayview mm-hmm. and how it's grown. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, you tell him I send, send my regards. I so we are going to close out with... Um, we're going to play the, the whole song, We Are All Connected, by Richard Howe, the Bleeding Gay Can't Play It All. So we're going to go out with We Are All Connected, and you will see how that fits. <laughs> when, um, when you uh, attend the conductor, stage reading next week. We are all connected, so we must treat each other right.
well. That was uh, Richard Howe. And again, we were speaking to Ishmael Reed, uh, playwright extraordinaire, uh, actor Emil Guillermo, uh, and director Carla Glenn about the conductor of playing two acts performed October 13th through 15th and four live streamed virtual readings. You can visit theater for the new city.net theater show with an E-R, T-H-E-A-T-E-R. Or F O U R the T H E new N E W city T I C Y dot net. Thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's been lovely. Take good care, everyone.